Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Today as we talk about the power of the cross, I was singing that song. I remember writing that song. It was a long time ago. It was just one of those songs where I wanted to give back to Jesus because when I got saved, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I had to carry the world around. I still feel like that sometimes, but that's not reality. The reality is I'm not in control. God's in control. And when I come to that place and I realize what he did for me, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Without the cross, there'd be no resurrection. That means we'd all be dead in the tomb. Because of the cross, there is a resurrection, and that's what we're going to talk about. You've ever heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome? When Jesus was on the earth, the Roman Empire had taken over, and they had built road system that was 50,000 miles of highway and about 200,000 miles of lesser roads. So Rome was literally the center of the world. And remember, these were built way back before uh, Jesus even came onto the earth. So it is a reality. It's not just a saying. Well, guess what? All roads might lead to Rome, but only one road leads to salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. The cross is at the center of Christ's saving work. If not for the cross, there'd be no resurrection. Jesus had to die in order to live. The cross is the center. This is the circle of orthodoxy. What's orthodoxy? Orthodoxy means correct doctrine or teaching. At the center of orthodoxy has to be the cross. That's what separates all false teaching. And the three questions that come up in the middle are who was there, number one. So Jesus was at the cross. What happened there? What happened at the cross? Do you know what happened at the cross? Jesus died for our sins. And then the third question is, how does that apply to me? Well, how does that apply to you? That means that you are under God's grace and forgiveness if you've placed your faith in him. That is the center of biblical Christianity, Christian doctrine. Now, outside, you've got secondary issues like, you know, is Jesus going to come back before the tribulation? Is the church going to be raptured before? Is it going to be at the end of the tribulation? Things like, is the millennium actually a thousand years? I believe it is, but those things are secondary. Then you have tertiary issues like, what kind of worship are you going to do in church? You know, what kind of music? Are you going to use live stream? You know, I mean, we're using live stream. And by the way, I remember when Facebook came out, a lot of Christians were like, oh, that's of the devil. And here's the thing. Technology is benign. It's how you use it. So we're using it for God's glory. Anything outside of that, like universalism, which means there's all roads to salvation, things like that, that's heresy. So we have to stay focused on the cross. Now the question becomes, What does the cross accomplish? What happened there? How does it apply to me? And we're going to go through these, and I hope you get them. You can write them down if you don't have the notes, because the notes are on our app. But the first thing that what Jesus did by the cross is 
Christ became our legal substitute. Christ is our legal substitute. Okay, now I've listed verses on the outline that accompany those, and you can look at those later, and you can go on our app again or on our website to get those. But the Bible is very clear that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So that means that I miss the mark. It means that I am not perfect. It means that God is holy and I am unholy. If you were to picture you and then God is over here, so he's holy, we're not holy. How does one then become saved? How does one come into a relationship with God? It's always by the cross. The only way you cross over this cavern is by the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus became my legal substitute. All roads lead to Rome, but there's only one road that leads to heaven, and it's the cross. So Jesus Christ did something I couldn't do. What's that? He lived a perfect, obedient life, and he was without sin. So he was the only one that could pay for my sin. There's no one else, and I can't pay for my own sin. And that's why when Jesus walked up to people and said, your sins are forgiven, the Jews would say, only God can forgive sins. That's right. So Jesus was saying, yes, I'm God. I'm the one that can forgive sins. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In the Old Testament, it says that cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus taking my place on a tree, on a cross. Israel foreshadowed Christ's sacrifice by sacrificing lambs and goats. On the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, the high priest would get two goats, cast lots, one would be slaughtered, and the other one, the high priest would place his hand on the head of the goat, which would be a symbol of transferring all the sins of Israel onto that goat. And then he'd let the goat free to run into the wilderness as a symbol that that goat was carrying the sins away of Israel. But it only covered the sins. It didn't take them away. So a year later, they would do the same ritual. The difference is that Jesus on the cross died for my sins completely. But it is interesting that in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that Jesus suffered and died outside the gates of Jerusalem. So it is again a symbol of the Yom Kippur goat going outside the gates of Jerusalem into the wilderness to cover the sins and carry them away. Jesus also died outside because he suffered as that lamb, as that perfect lamb of God who takes away our sin. That's why when John the Baptist looked at Jesus, said, what do you say? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That happened at the cross. Now, in Isaiah, if you have your Bibles, turn there in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, Isaiah 53, you should read this in full. We're not going to go through it all. Isaiah was a prophet of God, and Isaiah spoke of a servant. And in this specific passage, it's a suffering servant. Now, you have to correlate the two. 
Israel was called to be God's servants. They blew it. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is the servant that's spoken of here. And it's interesting what it says in verse 11, where it says, after he, God's servant. Isaiah, obviously, is living in a time he didn't know who it was. He's just hearing from God and writing it down. It's a prophecy about Jesus, though. It says, and he has suffered. So what does that mean? Jesus was suffering and died on the cross. But this is interesting. Jesus, or he here in this passage, the servant, will see the light of life. What does that speak of? The resurrection. And be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant, so God speaking about Jesus, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. See, justification is a legal act. It's declared not guilty. Jesus, when he died on the cross and said it is finished, all sin was taken care of, and the gavel came down and said, those who believe in Jesus Christ are, boom, not guilty. It's forensic. It's legal. It's never going to be taken away. It's a legal act. Jesus, God's servant, was obedient to take upon him the sin of the world, and those who believe in him are justified and declared not guilty. That is amazing. It's kind of like this. I mean, not exactly, but say you have a sentence put upon you. You're a criminal, and you're in court. And boom, the judge says, you're guilty. But then he gets off, takes off his robe and comes down and says, I'll take his place. When you think about it, God himself took your place and said, you don't have to be guilty anymore. Jesus Christ is your legal substitute. So that's why Jesus said, if the son sets you free, You are free indeed. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world right now. It does because it hurts. We're all in a grieving process. We are made to connect. It's weird to see people and not give them a hug, shake your hand. It's going to change a lot of things for a while. But what doesn't change is if you are in Christ by faith, you are declared not guilty. So Jesus is your legal substitute. Secondly, Jesus Christ is our victor. He won the victory at the cross. It's interesting that an instrument of death could turn into an instrument of life. But it makes sense. Because in order to live and be victorious, he had to die. Victory happened at the cross. In fact, in Colossians, it said Jesus... This is what happened at the cross. Check this out. Colossians 2.15. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. What is he speaking of? First of all, Jesus disarmed, and that word literally means stripped away their power. So Jesus stripped away whose power? The devil's power and his army of demons. And then he goes on, and not only that, Jesus stripped away their power, and then... He publicly disgraced them. Like in front of everybody and the whole world, I won, the devil lost. Boo the devil, right? And this is military language. So remember, 
when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that donkey, they missed it. They cried out, yes, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us now. But who did they want saving from? Rome. Who did Jesus save us from? Death. Because if there's one thing that the devil still had on us was death. Ain't no more. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Where is your sting, O death? Where is your victory, O death? We die physically, but we live eternally with Christ because death was conquered and those rulers and authorities were stripped of their power. And that's why when Jesus said, When I am lifted up, I will draw them into myself. And he's going back to Isaiah again where it says, Behold, my servant will prosper and be successful. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. So Isaiah was speaking of God's servant, Jesus. And Jesus then said, When I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself, because the devil has no power over death any longer. Christ is our victor. Third, Christ is our redeemer. He redeemed us from death and bondage, and sin. One of the most incredible statements Jesus ever made was to his disciples, and it's documented in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve, and to what? Give his life as a what? Ransom. Let's look at that. First, Jesus says, the Son of Man. So he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Well, the Son of Man is the person that has authority all over all men and women, all human beings. The first Son of Man was who? Adam. Adam means man. Adam bombed in the garden. And God sent a second Adam, or a last Adam, Jesus Christ, his Son. What did Jesus do that Adam didn't? Well, Jesus lived an obedient life. He didn't bomb. He didn't blow it. And so when Jesus says, I am the son of man, he's saying, I am the one in authority over man. But then he goes on and says, even in that authority, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I'm going to give my life as a ransom, which is a payment, so that you can be ransomed out of bondage. Remember when God saved Israel? out of Egypt. He ransomed them. He redeemed them out of bondage, out of death. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid my ransom because I was in ransom to death and sin. You know, redemption, though, always comes with a payment. Let's say, because I have CDs that I've made, and I created those. I wrote the song. I'm the owner of those things. And let's say someone stole my CD. I saw it in a pawn shop. And I said, well, that's my CD. And it says, not your CD. If you want it, you got to buy it. I know I made that. I created that. Well, no, it's not yours anymore. You got to buy it. So I'd have to pay a ransom for my own CD. Jesus, even though he made us and created us and we belong to him, the devil took us for a while. And then Jesus shows up on the cross and dies in my place, and his blood is a ransom payment to buy you back 
to who you rightly would worship and serve. So you're no longer under the power of the devil. You are now a servant of Christ. And I always say, great theologian Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody? Serve God. That's where you get life. That's where you get fulfillment. When you turn your life over to him, in him we have redemption by his blood. Fourth, Jesus Christ is our reconciler. So what does that mean? What does it mean to reconcile? Well, have you ever had a broken relationship or a relationship that's in conflict? And you might not be the 100% of the problem, but you know that you're part of the problem. And then you work really hard to reconcile that relationship. Well, like in a marriage where people make a commitment to each other. I always say I've been married to Deborah for almost 28 years, never had one fight because we've had multiple fights, but we reconcile through it by God's grace. It's sad, though, when people go through divorce, and one of the reasons they give is irreconcilable differences, right? That's never the case for someone who's in Christ, because our relationship with God was broken by sin, and in fact, the Bible says it separated us from Him. And Jesus reconciled us back to God and that relationship through his death on the cross. Now, in Israel, it's interesting. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 3 where God divorces Israel. What? Yeah, in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I saw all your adulteries, O faithless one Israel. And I sent her away with a decree of divorce, and even her treacherous sister Judah. So God is talking about the kingdom of the north, because the kingdoms were split at that point. And the kingdom of the north, and Judah, the kingdom of the south. He says the same thing about Judah. Check this out what he says. Judah went and also played the whore. Wow. That's really straightforward. So what he's saying is, Israel, you left what was good and you committed adultery, what was destructive. You played the whore with the world. That's pretty harsh. But, you know, God's word is true. Here's the awesome thing, though. So God does this and he has every right to do it. He'd rescued them out of death, and then they decided, oh, I'm just going to go worship death more. I'm just going to go play in the world and forget about God. But then he comes back like three verses later, and he says this, Return to me, faithless Israel, and I won't look at your anger. For I'm merciful, declares the Lord, and I won't be angry forever. And I think God might be saying that to the church, not to just our church, the church in general. Return, O faithless ones. You committed adultery with the world, but I won't be angry forever. Come back. Come home. You know, as Pastor Brian put it, we're in time out. But here's the thing. The time out is good because it's making us realize what's important. What's most important is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you're in him, no one can take that away. Family is extremely important because I miss my church family. But Israel was in a 70-year timeout 
He said, okay, you want to worship the world? Here, I'm going to give you a king, Nebuchadnezzar. Worship him. And then God still rescues them back, rescues them back, rescues them back. And the whole time he's going, I'm right here. Why are you, why are you committing adultery with the world? Jesus is our reconciler. No matter how much we screwed up, our relationship with God is set and is never going to be broken if you're in Christ. But you might feel further away from him sometimes. That's a natural feeling. But we need to return to what's important and quit playing the whore with the world. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So do you understand this? Jesus Christ didn't die for people who loved him. On the cross, people were spitting at him. People were mocking him. People were calling, oh, you call yourself God? Come down from the cross. Oh, yeah, God, whatever. I mean, we do that all the time. And then yet, while we were enemies of God, Jesus died on that cross. That's reconciliation beyond. That's why when Jesus says, forgive them, and we go, I'm not going to forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. And we can never say that what that person did to us is worse that what we did to God. But yet he forgave us. That's true reconciliation. And then fifth, Christ is our second Adam. And I talked a little about that. He's our second Adam. What does that mean? Well, the first Adam, like I said, blew it. He bombed. Adam bombed in the garden. He committed sin. Adam and Eve both rejected God. They didn't believe God. They believed the devil. So the devil got a hold of humanity for a while. That's called the doctrine of original sin. Think of it this way. We do sin because we're sinners, but we also are sinners because we have sin inside of us. Nobody's good outside of Christ. Jesus said there's no one good. Only God is good. When people come up to me, oh, that baby... Look at how innocent that baby is. Well, it might be innocent for a while when it's laying there in his little burrito wrap, you know, two weeks old, they don't make a sound. And then two years later, you know, like the SpongeBob, two years later, what happens? You're like, where'd that come from? That's always been in there. So here's the thing. At that moment, when Adam and Eve sinned, a virus entered their body. And because of that, that virus has been passed on. Talk about a pandemic. That virus has been passed on for generation, generation, generation. We all have it. I read something this week by the, a theologian named Douglas Moo. He said this, the ultimate virus is sin. Adam's sin introduces the virus of sin into the human race, a virus that inevitably leads every human to sin and therefore die. You know, we're looking at the mortality rates and death rates of this virus. Do you know that the mortality rate for death in general is 100%? You know that? Everyone will die physically. That's sin. That's that virus that eats away and our body is going downhill. But the good news is, the Bible says, because of the obedience of one man, all can become righteous. So in other words, what the Bible says is because of the disobedience of one man, Adam, all are under sin and death. 
but through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, all can be made righteous. So which do you choose? Let me tell you, I choose to get out of the tomb. I don't want to be in there anymore. I want to be alive in Christ. And you do that by faith in Christ because he is the second Adam that took our place on the cross. And then number six, Christ is our sacrifice. He sacrificed for us. By his dying on the cross, we can become holy through the sacrifice of his body. And check this out, once and for all. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews is a great book because it talks about the Old Testament temple worship and the sacrifice of animals and talking about how they would have to keep sacrificing and sacrificing. And then you get to chapter 10. It's like, that's why Jesus is the best sacrifice because it's once and for all. We don't have to every year send a goat out into the wilderness and hope that God forgives us. We know that Jesus went outside the camp, outside the gate, outside the city to die and suffer for once for all. And our sins are completely taken away. Not our sin nature, because we still have that, but the penalty that we have in sin is taken away because of the ransom payment of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And I'm telling you what, I don't care if I'm going to preach the gospel through an AM radio. People need to hear the gospel. And they want you to tell them. They want you to tell them. People are dying, and they don't have to die. People are thinking they're in the tomb. They don't have to be in the tomb because Jesus is our sacrifice. And when he was on that cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. One of the ways that we give our life away is to forgive other people. And I think, you know, when we think about sin... You know, murder, yeah, well, murder is way up there, right? Do you know that Jesus said that if you don't forgive your brother of his sin, God will not forgive your sin? Now, what is he talking about? I told you earlier that there's a legal justification that happens and all your sins are forgiven. But I'm telling you what, if you've ever lived in a house as a kid and you were in trouble and you knew that you upset your dad or your mom, you felt guilty. And that's a natural response. And we know when we have not confessed our sins to God that we carry around this guilt. Why? The Bible says none is guilty. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Yeah, but I feel guilty because I know I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Listen, that's pride. Get rid of it. I don't want to be in time out with that anymore. We need to start living and giving our life away, which means humbling ourselves and serving one another and loving one another and forgiving one another so that we don't have all that, excuse my language, crap in the air that's not being dealt with. Confess your sins and he is faithful to forgive. And you don't have to walk around with, oh, is God mad at me? No, he's not mad at you. That's because you haven't confessed something. What is that? Get rid of it. You don't need that anymore. Give your life away to Christ. As we end here in Isaiah 53, again, going back to Isaiah 53, in verse 10, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Who? The servant, Jesus. So are you kidding me? What that's saying is, It was the will of Yahweh to crush his servant. And put him to grief. 
that makes me think of this incredible poem, the type of poem that Max Lucado wrote a while ago. It's called He Chose the Nails. So listen to this. Watch as the soldiers shove the carpenter to the ground and stretch his arms against the beams. One presses a knee against the forearm and a spike against the hand. Jesus turns his face toward the nail. Just as the soldier lifts the hammer to strike it, couldn't Jesus have stopped him? The mallet rings, the skin rips, and the blood begins to drip, then rush. Why didn't Jesus resist? Because Jesus loves us, we reply, and that is true, wonderfully true. But forgive me, it's only partially true. As the soldier pressed his arm, Jesus rolled his head to the side, and with cheek resting on the wood, he saw a list, a long list, a list of our mistakes, our lust, our lies, our greedy moments in prodigal years. He saw a record of our sins, a tabulation of our faults. That's why he refused to close his fist. He saw the list. He knew the price of those sins was death. He knew the source of those sins was you. And since he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you, he chose the nails. Your failures are blotted out, covered by the blood of God's Son. That is why Jesus did not resist. The nails were God's idea. The hand that swung the hammer was the hand of God. And as the hands of Jesus opened for the nail, the doors of heaven opened for you. So remember, it was the will of Yahweh to crush his servant and put him to grief. But then it goes on. And this is the best part. Because it doesn't end there. That would be a sad story. Isaiah goes on and speaks. And he says, But when this servant makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. That's us. He shall prolong his days. That's the resurrection and the eternal life. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Listen, this story has a happy ending because when Jesus died and he went in that tomb and was there for three days, and for three days, the world was stressed. Can you imagine living that way? The disciples were like, oh my gosh, we're going to get killed. We followed this person who told us that in three days, you're trying to figure it out, right? And then on the third day, the tomb is empty and Jesus walks around and shows him his body, which was a glorified and resurrected body, the body that we'll get, the similar body, because everything that happened to Jesus happens to us, except we don't have to pay for our own sin. But we die in Christ. We rise in Christ. We are glorified in Christ. Everything is in Christ. And then what happened? Jesus ascends and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means that Jesus is in the highest place of authority, and he's coming back again. So here's what I'm going to tell you. The story is good. The gospel is good. And stay tuned, because next week, we're going to talk about that part of the story. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sounded horrible with the cross and everything. But if it weren't for the cross, there would be no resurrection. And Lord, we can relate to the people who yelled on Sunday, Hosanna, we worship you, Lord Jesus. And then five days later, crucify him. 
And yet, Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus died for us. And for those who are in Christ, we are legally not guilty. We have been justified. We have been saved. And we will be with him forever in eternity. And we praise and glorify your name, Jesus. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-